This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 12th, the Accidental Drunkenness Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Eliza, age seven, and Leo, who is four years old today. Woo! Happy birthday, Leo! Happy birthday, Leo! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about a five-year-old being victimized by her family's teasing, and another about a toddler who might be getting a little too handsy with his mom. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails, we'll have recommendations, and on Slate Plus, uh, Slate Director of Technology Greg Lavalley gets covered in nasal blood at a crucial moment. <laughs> Let's start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, what do you got, triumph or fail? I've got a triumph, and I'm almost afraid to talk about it because I'm afraid if I talk about it, I'm going to fuck it up. But I'm just going to tell you anyway because I'm so excited. Uh, as you all know, Henry is now back from his five months away. And I don't know what's going on or why this is happening. I'm just super excited it is. But he's been hanging out with his brother like all the time, inviting him to go do things uh, along with his girlfriend even. Like they all, the three of them went to go see The Incredibles the other day. They went on a picnic together. They have gone out to breakfast. He and Teddy went out to breakfast. They're just like hanging out like the way that you always wish your kids would want to but they never actually want to do or at least the older one never wanted wants to do and it is awesome it is just so awesome teddy is like over the moon excited and happy and he's even like uh you know when when henry and maya invited him to come to the movies he's like well i don't want to be the third wheel but you could tell he totally wanted to be the third wheel and he was like really excited about it so i don't know what's going on i don't know if it's because henry was gone for a long time and he's just like really appreciating getting the time with teddy i don't know if it's because teddy has become less annoying while henry was away i don't know if it's some combination of that but it's awesome and it warms my heart and I am just doing my best to be chill about it and not have the reaction with them that I'm having with you right now so that like I won't ruin it by, you know, losing my chill over it. So that's my triumph. My kids actually seem to be enjoying spending time together and are doing so voluntarily. And that's very exciting. That's awesome. That is awesome. Rebecca, were you? do you have siblings? I do. I have two older siblings. I'm the youngest of three, and my older sisters never hung out with me or invited me anywhere, ever. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> that's so sad. I think well, you've gotten yeah. right to the core of the issue. I don't here. think that's uncommon, though, yeah. right? Like, especially when you get, I mean, I, I'm four years older than my next oldest sibling. So they were, you know, yeah, six years, years and four uh, years older yeah, than me. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, it's hard because yeah, I don't. Yeah, four years younger, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really weird for us from both because both Joe and I were only children. I have a half brother, but we didn't really grow up together together that much, and so I find the whole sibling thing just f- phenomenally fascinating. Like, I have no idea what I can't believe that they when they fight. I can't believe when they don't fight. I can't believe when they hang out. I can't understand when they do, like. I don't understand any of it. So I feel like I'm watching people like animals in a zoo when I watch my kids interact. <laughs> I just think the whole sibling thing is so fascinating. And I love the idea that they're at some point going to be friends. I mean, they kind of are. They're like intermittently friends, even now. And it's interesting to think that at some point, you know, when they're adults, you know, 21 and 23, they'll have some kind of relationship that has to do with their shared background and their shared developmental experiences. And I don't, the whole thing is amazing to me. I just think it's all cool, even when it's super weird. You know, most of their relationship will be based around like talking about you and what a freak you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Which is that, precisely, right? yes. And I've said this on the show before that we had the second kid because we were like, no kid should have to deal with us alone, that there should be a second person. <laughs> they need backup. Yeah. So that's exactly what we hope will happen. <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, Carvel, how about you triumph or fail this week? 
I, f- I would say that like the triumphs continue. Like I, we finally finished this two week East coast tour. Um, we came back on, uh, Saturday night because I had to go to a wedding on Sunday, actually. And I had a similar, ex- I had, I also had a wedding drama Sunday morning, but, um, but it all resolved. But the, the trip was amazing. I really enjoyed it. And, um, I, the final, you know, like it was great for the kids to like connect with my family who they don't get to see a whole lot because because of the 3000 mile distance. And in the final iteration, um, we spent some time in the Massachusetts town of Woods Hole, which is like known for its Oceanographic Institute and its radio stations. But it's also known because one of my oldest like friends from Berkeley, their family is like goes there in the summer and has for like a hundred years or whatever it is, like multiple generations. And so we got invited to go. We went, me and Georgia went last year and then I brought Ezra and it was just like, that was, I don't know how to explain it for California kids. That was such a weird experience. It was so summery and there were lakes and docks and boats and mosquitoes. And there was a 4th of July parade in which everyone dressed up as butterflies to represent migration (laughs) and uh, (laughs) it was like i i put i did i made like an instagram story of it and someone was like this is like an ad for a small town and it it really was and uh and and the our friends whose family is there like we we love them so much and have for a, a long time and there was good food everyone's a really good cook and so it was just like this thing and the kids were both weirded out by it, but kind of annoyed, but kind of amazed by it. And in this town, all the teenagers sort of, they have this like thing called the ballpark barbecue every Friday where everyone gets together at this ballpark and has a barbecue. And then after that, all the teenagers just sort of wander off through town together in a pack. And uh, they, my kids did that. They just wandered around with teenagers that they had just met, and they were really nervous that it was going to be like, who's cool and who's not and who's mean and who isn't. And I was, and it turned out everyone was just kind of nice because hmm. that's just the way it is, especially in the summer when everyone's visiting. And I don't know, they just got a whole different experience of life, and they were really cool. And probably the best part was we boated to this house boat, which is kind of hard to explain, and then the second story of this houseboat was in the middle of the bay and you could jump off the roof into the water. And it was like hmm. maybe 15 feet. Nice. <laughs> and it was amazing. And the water was perfect. And uh, it was just classic summer living. So it all, there were so many ways that trip could have gone wrong, but the three of us really bonded, really connected, really listened to each other. Everyone held it together. Uh, tantrums were at a minimum. And when they did come up, I felt like we managed them well collectively and individually. So it was good. That's awesome. Ah. So glad to hear you had a great time in New England, which, as you know, is where I live. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of described, you know, it's not perfect here, as we talked about before on the show. We have issues with a little thing, like, especially called diversity. But uh, Mm -hmm. we do have some great summer living here in this part of the country. (laughs) So I'm glad you got a chance to enjoy it. I know. One of the things that was cool about, well, this family is like the only black family in, in this town. And, like, they've been our friends for a long time. And so... It's like we the it was interesting because the parade definitely our the the contingent from the greenhouse which is the house that we were representing was the most politically like left leaning like demonstration in the parade um and there were you know maybe like 25 of us that represented the greenhouse group and uh but w- marching through town it was so fascinating to see people react to it. And every once in a while, someone would give us the look like, what is this about? Is this about the Mexicans? But 80% of the time, people were just so excited <laughs> to see someone yeah. make an active political stance. And uh, and and because Woods Hole is like the way you take the boat to Martha's Vineyard too, there's always a lot of like people in town. So diversity was like higher probably than normal. But overall, I don't know. It was just, it's hard to explain, but we had a good time. That's all I can say about that. That's awesome. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to have to do this, but I gotta end the uh, streak of triumphs uh, oh. because it's been a week of failure for me. Uh, <laughs> Good in, in all kinds of ways, uh, but particularly um, last week. This is why I wasn't able to be on the show last week. Uh, it was like one thirty in the morning, and Leo woke up and he comes in and he's like, "My eye hurts," and 
you know, he, he's young enough that like the sleep training is still a relatively recent memory and it's still every now and again he comes up with some sort of bullshit excuse for why he's not in his bed when he's supposed to be in his bed. And I just like reflexively, the way I dealt with sleep training is I just like no excuses. You're meant to be in your bed. Your whole thing is like you, you should be in your bed. It's nighttime. Is your clock green? He has the special clock that turns green at 645 when he can wake up. If your clock is not yet green, you should be in your bed now. And that's an algorithm that my brain can do even if you've just woken me up at 1.30 in the morning. Is your clock green? <laughs> no, it isn't. Therefore, you should be in your bed. And so I just went straight into that mode. And meanwhile, Tally, my wife was like, whoa, wait, look at his eye. It's all swollen up. And I was like, well, it's probably nothing. He probably just bumped it. Did you bump your eye? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I bumped my eye. And I'm like, okay, well, tomorrow we'll put a Band-Aid on it. Go back to your bed. And she was like, no, wait, actually, look at it. It's really pretty swollen up and looks pretty bad. And, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night, um, I just really want to go back to sleep. Like, that's just mainly what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I I just, like, okay, so we called the pediatrician, but I was grouchy about it. I was like, I the main thing that's going on here is that I have been woken <laughs> up and my sleep has been interrupted. And we called the pediatrician. And of course, you have to, like, leave the message, and then the night pediatrician on duty calls you back, and the whole thing takes a while, and the night pediatrician is grouchy that you're calling her at 1.30 in the morning, quite reasonably, in my opinion. Um, and, and the night pediatrician said, oh, well, it's probably an allergic reaction. Give him some Benadryl. So we gave him some Benadryl. Um, and of course the Benadryl knocks him right out. So he goes to sleep. We woke up in the morning and the eye was like grotesquely swollen and horrible looking. And we took him straight to the pediatrician and we wound up taking him to the emergency room. And he was diagnosed with something called periocular cellulitis, which (sighs) if you treat it right away, with intravenous antibiotics, uh, responds very well to treatment and you're just fine. If you don't treat it right away, there can be all kinds of terrible consequences that we averted because of the fact that my wife is smart enough to like Google stuff and knows when you should take a kid to the emergency room and isn't like, doesn't assume that the kid is always faking it in order to not be in his bed when he's awake or something (laughs) like that. So we took him to the hospital. He wound up being there overnight. He had this IV drip. He is now totally fine. I took him to the the ophthalmologist this morning, and and the ophthalmologist pronounced him completely fine. And the the course of antibiotics is doing what we what we pay it to do. Um, so you know, all a fine ending. But I did not. I I, I didn't cover myself with glory during this potential medical crisis. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. You know, if it makes you feel better, first of all, I have had that kind of eye infection before and it's bad. It really hurts. So good for him that he was just able to like go back to bed even post Benadryl because that doesn't feel good. (laughs) Uh, But there was a when I first got together with Kevin, he was complaining about not feeling well and wanted to go to the emergency room. And I thought he was being a huge baby. And then he really wanted to go to the emergency room. And I was like, let me just call and see how long the wait is. And he was like, I'm telling you, I want to go to the emergency room. <laughs> so we went and uh, he had meningitis. So um, wow. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, he was an adult who could have taken himself to the emergency room. He wasn't a, a four-year-old who was completely Which dependent Which is the point I was trying you. to make at the time, by the yeah. way. But, he, but still, luckily, the good news about him being a four-year-old is he probably won't tell that story at every family party forever he like will. Kevin does about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be this is this is going to be with you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I can say. I, As a dad, this is going to be with you. I think and that's uh, right. and, and yeah, no, I I totally get that because I totally I totally get what happens when you go into the default mode of um I am like I'm inconvenienced and that's the main thing happening right now and so and uh, and then once you commit to that, something happens in your brain where you don't quite switch. Like if you start with that, then you yeah. don't quite switch to the other mode until it's too late. You just then continue to look for things that like uh, back that up, you know? So yeah. You're like, well, <laughs> well, because you know, kids so, do bullshit you so much do, of the time. No doubt. They, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Do. And so, I mean, it's it's rough, man. And like in and like I totally get making that mistake and i get how bad it's gonna how bad it feels and i think that probably one of the good things here is that it's like i i i know i've done stuff like this i can't think of one right now um but i know that um i know that i've done stuff like this that i've that i've been this suspicious i don't believe you please like sort of looking at my kids sideways when they have a legitimate problem dad because that's what i 
thought you were supposed to do. And sometimes they are bullshitting. Oftentimes they are bullshitting. And so I feel like just the best thing that can come out of this is that because you are going to live with it and I probably will come up and it probably will. There's a good chance that it will become a family story. And uh, and so it kind of like you get to do better next time. You know, actually, I did just think of one, actually, which is that when Joe, (laughs) this is embarrassing, Joe, Ezra was born like two weeks early and I had taken off work. I had had this job and I had taken two weeks off of work and I was, I left on a Friday and we got through the weekend and then Saturday and then Sunday night, um, one of our friends was photographing like a show or something and was like, was like, do you want to come to the show? And so I was like, yeah. And Joe was like, yeah, go out, have a good time. Like, I'll just hang out in the house and clean. So she hangs out in the house and clean. So I get back from this show at like 4 a.m. Mind you, I was in my 20s at this point, like 29 or 28 or something. So I crawl into bed and or maybe like 3.30. So I crawl into bed and ask Joe how she's doing. She's fine. She can barely sleep at this point because she's so huge, but she's fine. And then 4 o'clock rolls around and Joe's like, uh, hey. She like I hear her like kind of like <laughs> shaking me. She's like, hey. I'm like, what's up? She's like, I don't I – think, I think my water broke. And I'm like, are you sure? And I literally <laughs> said it like that. Like, I was annoyed. I was like, thought she was being dramatic. And she's like, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know. I was like, but it's only it's only Monday. Like, this isn't supposed to happen for two weeks. She's like, okay, well, I, you know, I, I think it's happening. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I mean, what do you want? She's like, I mean, just, just go back to sleep. Just go back to sleep. I'll let you know when something happens. And I went back to sleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I, I only vaguely remember that interaction. And then about three hours later, I woke up and like we were fully engaged in the birth of our first child. And <laughs> I had basically my first reaction was, ah, are you kidding me right now? Like that literally was my first internal reaction when she hmm. when she woke me up. And so, yeah, that I still feel terrible about that. And I still hate hearing Joe recount that story. And I'm still ashamed of my behavior there. So. Sometimes we just do that, and the only thing we can do is get better. Sometimes things are too huge to process in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, that's a very you just You can't way. deal with that until you've had a couple more hours sleep, and then you're really ready to go and be a great birth partner, I bet. You know, I would mm. think that if it weren't for the fact that Joe was so ready to deal with it, even though it was the middle of the night for her. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm talking mostly about might, men here, I guess. Yeah, right? it might have something to do with me yeah. <laughs> and my self-centeredness. So that's something that I, I think about. I actually think about that a lot. And it has. I have tried to make what some people call living amends for that way of behavior, which is where you just – you can't really apologize out of it, but you go, man, I am going to do everything I can to not be to not be like that again ever. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, good good luck to us all. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on the air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. Uh, if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, you should go there now. Every episode gets discussed and chewed over by a smart and active community of like-minded parents uh, who are also sharing their own parenting problems, triumphs, fails, and so on. Uh, just go on Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, you can hear a particularly grody parenting fail from Slate's director of technology, Greg Lavalley, uh, to hear that segment and another like it every week. You should sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to get more of the show and help support us in making it. It costs just $35 for your first year. And uh, every week you get an extended ad-free edition of Mom and Dad Are Fighting and other lesser Slate podcasts such as Trumpcast and the Slate Political Gab Fest. Who cares about those shows? Uh, but if you happen to like that sort of thing, you'll get a longer and uh, ad-free version of that too. 
So if you want to support all of our Slate podcasts, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a question from a listener who, for some reason, wants our advice about parenting. <laughs> so it came to us on, uh, from the Facebook group. Uh, if you're not a member of the Facebook group, you should join facebook.com search for Slate Parenting. Uh, it's being read for us by Slate's own Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have a five-year-old who gets teased relentlessly by her family, and I need ways she can defend herself. It's my husband's family, mom, stepdad, and two younger brothers who are in their early 20s. And teasing is just what they do in their family. Unfortunately, they have no concept of boundaries, and it goes too far every single time. They also don't seem to regard children as human beings, but that's another story. My husband acknowledges that this isn't normal, but says that they've been like this for 35 plus years and aren't likely to change. I think he's probably correct, given that I've talked to them multiple times and have seen little improvement. I've told my daughter to say no whenever they are doing something she doesn't like, but yesterday I witnessed both her uncle and her grandfather continue to badger her despite her saying no multiple times. I stepped in and told them they needed to stop as soon as she said it, so they spent the rest of the night making fun of the fact that she didn't like what they were doing. Today I talked to her about the situation last night, and I suggested that after she said no once, she should threaten to tell me, and if they still don't stop, she should start screaming as loud as she can, which is pretty loud. I'm wondering if anyone else has dealt with this and what else I can tell my daughter to do in order to defend herself. I'm also wondering what I should do. Right now, I'm pissed, and I kind of feel like telling them that she won't go over there anymore unless they stop, but my husband doesn't want to use threats, and he doesn't think they'll work. Please try not to judge me. I know that this isn't a healthy situation, but my husband doesn't want to keep our daughter from her family, and my daughter loves them a great deal. They're not always like this, and she really has a good time when their interactions are normal. I'm really torn between my feelings and theirs. It has kicked up a lot of anxiety and self-doubt, and I don't know what to do. Thanks. I uh, I think these people sound like uh, real jackholes, I believe I, I said when I first saw this question uh, posed to us. And I, I mean, if you were talking about a 14-year-old, this conversation might be a little bit different. Uh, but even then... You, there's no reason to judge you, writer inner. We are talking about you proactively, it sounds like, doing all the right things in order to intervene on behalf of a five-year-old. We're talking about a five-year-old. Five-year-olds don't have the kind of sense of humor where they can roll with the punches and be sarcastic back and understand this kind of complicated communication. And it sounds like in this family, it's a system and pattern of communication that's existed for a long time that they all tolerate. I don't know how much they enjoy it, but it sounds like they're all tolerating it. And frankly, it sounds like super unhealthy situation for you to, um, you know, have your child be in. I think your instinct to not expose your child to this is the right one, frankly. If, if this, um, I mean, and the only thing that I can kind of relate this to is, you know, we have a very sarcastic and teasing dynamic in my family, the boys and I and Kevin and I. And when Lily was younger, even though she's the oldest kid, she didn't like it. She didn't like being teased. She didn't like being part of the sarcasm. She would take it personally when jokes were about her. So we just stopped. We just stopped making jokes about her. We stopped communicating that way when she was around in order to respect her boundaries. And you know what? Over time, she became one of the most sarcastic people in our family and fully participates now and is, uh, and you know, enjoys that kind of communication with us. But, you know, it's just, it sounds like your husband's family, they're not only not respecting the boundaries of a child, but they're also not respecting the boundaries of her mom. When her mom says, hey, this hurts my daughter's feelings. We're not, we shouldn't communicate this way around her. She doesn't get it. She, she can't participate. She doesn't have the faculty. She doesn't enjoy it. And it hurts her feelings. Knock it off. Anybody who would continue doing that after a parent said that about their five-year-old, like, they're a jackhole. It's the only thing. It's the only word that's sprung to mind instantly. So, I I don't think you are outside of your boundaries at all to say, listen, if you can't not talk to my kid this way, we're not going to come over and hang out with you anymore. That's just the way it's going to be. And I I think that you have to work this out with your husband too, because it surprises me that he's not completely on the same page. All right. So listen, I'm going to completely stipulate that these people are. Jackholes, I believe, is the way you avoid saying the word asshole. 
Um, is, is, is that right? Um, yes. It, it, for, some, for some reason, that particular word seemed to fit this situation in a way that like asshole didn't feel quite like punchy enough. You know what I it's mean? It's because yeah. it's similar to jackals. That's, what, oh, that's, that's yeah. the yeah, way maybe. the bad uh-huh. behavior right. is described. So, so I might use another word. I might say these people are bullies, right? These are mm-hmm. people who like picking on someone who's much smaller and weaker and can't protect herself. And when she says, hey, cut it out, then they make fun of her more for telling them to cut it out. These are bullies. This is like classic bullying stuff. It sucks. I hate that kind of behavior. People like that suck. Your family suck. Your in-laws suck. At the same time, um, there are a lot of bullies out there in the world. Um, if, If what they're doing is like verbally teasing in a way that the kid finds unpleasant, um, She's going to deal with some version of that at school. She's going to deal with some version of that in all kinds of different environments. Um, You don't have to like it. You don't have to tell her to like it. And you can absolutely sympathize with her feelings that she hates it and wants it to stop. Um, I don't know that treating it as like an absolutely unacceptable situation that we're going to, um, you know, scream at the top of your lungs the next time they do it and and then we're going to not bring her back. I don't know that that's merited necessarily. I wonder if that's giving the bullies too much power or making too big a deal out of something that is like gross and mean and painful but not in the end hugely damaging. Um, and so I wonder if uh, – I don't know. I might offer the kid a choice. Like, do you want to go to your uncle's house, even though like there might be some teasing? If you don't want to go, we can go do something else. But if you want to go, then we'll go and there might be some teasing. Uh, Like, I wonder if this is an opportunity to teach her uh, resilience in the face of bullying rather than to teach her that um, when people treat you like that, then you have to go nuclear on them and, and go to your mom and like that. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I, it's funny because what I'm hearing in this letter is that this is a family that is that the, that the daughter and the that the kid, the five year old, likes and they're loving and they have a good time and they play, but they have this thing that they do that is really annoying and difficult for the kid, and that and that everyone acknowledges that the father, the mother, and the kid all acknowledge that this is like crappy behavior. This thing my family does. And it's not the whole, it's not all my family is. It's not all they, it's not all they do. It's just this, they have this one thing they do, which is they communicate in this way. They communicate love in this way. They communicate like belonging in this way by teasing relentlessly and pushing your buttons and making fun of your ears or whatever. And that's exactly what I, I really, I know that because my family, I mean, most, I think a lot of families do this. And my family definitely growing up was like, you, you know, you learned this particular way to like, take a jab at someone, but also have it be funny. Like it had to be funny. Otherwise it it was like mean. So it was like this way of forming humor and stuff like that. And, and um, it would be one thing if it was like, I take my, my, my child to my in-laws and they're just mean and abusive the whole time. And all they do is yell at her and tell her she's doing everything wrong. At that point, I'd be like, don't take your fucking child over there and fuck those people. I'm sorry, your in-laws suck. Maybe you could find, maybe you could like rent better in-laws or something like that. But what we're talking about is a group of people that have formed a communicate a, a communicative tick, you might call it, or a habit of communication that is hard for your kid, and it's hard for your kid with good reason. But they also love your kid, and your kid loves them and loves being around them. And so I tend to lean a little bit more towards what Gabe is saying, which is that I think that um, I think that that the the kid. I mean, if they're not, it's already been acknowledged that like you could talk to them, you could say, "Look, this sucks. Can you not do this with my kid?" And that may le- lead somewhere, but it seems like the evidence from the letter is that it's not. It's been thirty-five years that these people are just going to do this. And it sucks that they're going to do this, but that's what they're going to do. They're going to tease in this way. And they, and like your daughter in particular doesn't like it. And so I think that at a certain point, your daughter has to decide, does she want to hang out around? And she can say, then there's, 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 there's like um, gradations in there. Your daughter can say, yeah, I do want to hang around with him, but can you hang out with me? You know what I mean? Or can you like, or if it gets really bad, can I come hang out with you? And, you know, and can you help a little bit or whatever? And the same thing with dad. Can dad help? And can dad like intervene on my behalf? Not those aren't the words I could use, but like the feeling that that's what's going to happen. But it, it, it's as much as it sucks to say, 
We're going to build our behavior around this existing thing that we don't approve of. In this situation, it sounds like that's actually the only remaining option. Because I don't know that changing the family entirely is still on the table. I mean, isn't that, the le- isn't that the world, the right? Order. Don't don't we aren't, aren't we always adapting our behavior I mean, to horrible situations that we? I hate? mean, Here, I'm reluctant to. <sighs> I, I, I'm reluctant to take to to even extrapolate it out that far because I because mm. just for a lot of reasons. So I don't even want to like go there. But I do think that in the case as decided for this family, I think that's that's the situation, and I do think that there's there's also the the there's also the the possibility that. At at five, your daughter will have a hard time navigating this world, but at seven or ten or fifteen, she'll have an easier time navigating it. Kind of like the story that Rebecca told about stepdaughter Lily. And it, actually, this reminds me of what it was like around my father's family. When when I visited my father's family in Pittsburgh, his grandmother and and mother were like the the scene, the world there. I had so many rules and stuff that I didn't understand. Things I thought were weird, mean, abusive, confusing. I didn't know what I like. Didn't know how to act right, and I just felt like I was from visitor from another planet. And it was really bad when I was like five or six, and then by the time I was eight or nine, I kind of like figured out here's who you can be smart with. Here's who you just say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, to. And like here's who you can like kind of make jokes about. Here's where you can curse. Here's where you can't curse. You know, I just sort of figured it out, and. Of course, if any psychologist or whatever were to fly into my my great grandmother's house and observe the dynamics, they would probably tick off a million things that were wrong. Um, but the reality is that it was family, and they generally loved us. They loved me. I was a mm. member of their family. They were a member of my family. We loved each other, and so really, what it was was me having to figure out how to work specific dynamics of communication that our that that family had agreed upon. Yo, this is the way we do things. And I, I wasn't going to come in and change that. And so I had to figure out where my place was in it. Did I want to be around them enough to put up with it and learn or did I not? And I found that being around my cousins was enough that I was willing to figure out how to do this. And so that's the way I think that this situation kind of should be dealt with. See, I, I think that what's making this more complicated for me are the gender dynamics in the question. I mean, this mom says that she watched her the, the, her daughter's grandfather and uncle's tease her relentlessly and the daughter said no and they wouldn't stop and they made fun of her for saying no that really bothers me i mean it bothers me differently it's it's, it's, to me it just it seems like more than relentless teasing and sarcasm when you have a child who has said no please stop i don't like that and they can't we're talking about a five-year-old i mean it's there, there seems to be some line crossing here. Maybe I'm reading too deep into this, or maybe I'm taking on some of the letter writers being pissed because she does say she's pissed, and maybe she infused her email with that, and so I'm taking that on empathetically. But there's a layer to this that that bothers me. And you know, if 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 there's a solution, I mean, if the daughter really wants to go continue to visit the family, maybe the solution is just to bring two cars, and then when things start to get hot and sarcastic, mom and daughter take off and just say, okay, it's I think we've it's time for us to go have a wonderful night, everybody. And like they take off. But I think subjecting a young girl to a situation where three men are relentlessly teasing you. And when you say no, they don't stop. And just saying like, you know what? That's kind of how the world is. Uh, you're just going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. Like that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I'm sorry. It just does. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's the way the world is. I'm saying that I think that um, I think that it should be up to the daughter whether or not she wants to go. And if she does want to go, there may be ways to support when she's there. But I mm-hmm. don't think that changing the family is on the table. That's kind of the point right. I'm making. Yeah, that's, that's, and, that's and I think that's why I sort of lean to that they've, they've demonstrated they're inflexible here. And yeah, maybe when she's seven, it'll be cool with her, but it's not cool with her now. And it's like you're taking away all her power if you sort of force her to be in this situation and the people won't bend. You certainly shouldn't know. force her to be in the situation. Like, yeah. I want to be clear about that. Like, if the kid yeah. says, I don't want to go to this house because they're mean to me, then absolutely don't take her to that house. But it yeah. doesn't seem like the kid is saying that. It seems like yeah. the kid likes them some of the time and then they do this thing that makes her feel bad. And she's not sure how to deal with that. And the mom is offering her one way of dealing with that. And I, I'm not sure that that's the only way or necessarily yeah. the way that's the most helpful for the kid. Yeah, I'm not down with a screaming solution. I mean, that's not going to if, if the if the saying no didn't work, why would that work, right? <laughs> so, you know, I agree with you there.
All right. Well, um, this is a complicated one. I think our our response shows that. But um, I hope that was helpful. Let us know how it goes. Or if we got it completely wrong, please write us back. Uh, And if you have a question that you would like us to handle, you can email us at momanddadatslate.com. Call us at 424-255-7833 or go to the Facebook group. uh, Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's take another question. This one also being read by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I need some help trying to establish better physical boundaries with my almost five-year-old. He is not super affectionate to anyone besides me, his mom. But whenever he wants my attention, he gets all up in my business, throwing himself on me when I'm sitting on the floor, talking to me with his face an inch from my face, kneading my stomach like a cat, and putting his open mouth on my face and arms when he wants to give me kisses, etc. I am home full-time with him, and a one-year-old who I am still nursing. I know he's jealous of all the physical attention his younger sibling receives. I totally get it. But I just feel so touched out. Despite the fact that I am not a super touchy-feely person, I make an effort to give him plenty of cuddles and attention when I can see that he needs it. We are proactive about body autonomy and consent. We ask permission before we help him in the bathroom or tub. We ask him if he wants hugs and never force him to show physical affection. I believe he has largely internalized these messages with everyone but me. I'm so afraid that he is going to feel rejected when I deflect his bids for physical closeness. But I imagine he's also seeing me feel uncomfortable and annoyed. How do we find a happy medium here? Thank you. Well, so this is a hard one because like that feeling of being touched out. I mean, I'm familiar with that feeling and I have never been breastfeeding a baby, right? Like I I can only imagine how exhausting it must be to be doing that and also have an older kid who wants physical closeness with you and, and also be a person who is, uh, what does the letter writer say? Um, uh, not a super touchy feely person. Um, that just seems like an intrinsically super difficult situation where the demands on you are very, very high and, and, and probably higher than you can comfortably meet them. At the same time, the one thing I would say is, um, I think this almost five year old, uh, you say he has largely internalized these messages, messages about bodily autonomy and consent. He's largely internalized these messages with everyone but me. I I think he has internalized them with you as well, and he knows exactly what he's doing. That is, he knows that he's taking something from you that you don't necessarily want to give him, and 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 that what he's expressing is his need for you, but he's also expressing his anger, his rage, which is a very natural thing for him to be feeling at that point. That that um, in amongst everything else, in amongst the demands that he's making, like what you are feeling from him is hostility. Uh, as well as everything else. And and um, I, I think that's probably irreducible, right? He's mad at you. You you broke his heart. You had another baby. It's terrible. How could you do that? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, one of the things that um, it's easy to forget when you have a new baby and a young child, my kids were 18 months apart, and there is like an enormous, seemingly enormous developmental difference between Two kids who are close, even very close in age, but when one of them is older and the other one is a baby, like still a baby, still nursing, not able to feed themselves, not able to get around themselves. And you, it's easy, I think, to forget that your three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old is also in many ways still a baby. And developmentally, you know, in psychology class, I learned that five, you're still in what they call like the pre-operational phase, right? You're still using pictures to to demonstrate ideas. You're not able to have those more complex uh, expressions of emotion or, you know, communications. And I think that there's a few things going on here, the, the, the largest of, of which is that your your son is at a big, you know, point of change in his life, you just having had a baby and, and all the stuff that's going on in your house. But 
you are also telegraphing in some way. And I know it seems like you're doing all the right stuff. You're talking about bodies. You're talking about, uh, you know, gasking permission to touch. And I think you're telegraphing exactly what it is you don't want him to do by setting boundaries. You're probably setting them more strongly than anybody else, which is why he's violating them with you more strongly than he is with anybody else. Um, I don't know what the solution here is. I mean, I would say my instinct would be to give it back to him in spades, just like hug him back, put your mouth on him back, do everything back, give him everything he wants for a period of time and stop telegraphing the the boundary drawing stuff. And maybe he will not do it anymore. I get bored with it or something. But um, I don't know if that will work or not. But I, I, this is, it's, it is a complicated situation. And I, I agree with Gabe that uh, he is doing it with you more because you are nursing this baby and because he sees himself as being replaced on some level. And he's, he's mourning that and, and his way of coping with it is just by trying to, to get a little more of you. Um, I think it's important to just keep that in mind, no matter how it is that you decide to move forward with this. Trying to get a little more of you, but also when you tell him, don't touch me like that, I don't like it when you touch me like that. Yeah. Uh, what you're telling him is, here's a way you can hurt me. Here's a way you can hurt me back. Right. And, exactly. And to him, that's a great opportunity to hurt you back, to do something that, that you're not going to like that's going to bother you the way you've bothered him. Yeah. I mean, I tend to think that this is a, this is a transition, and transitions take time. And this child is transitioning from one kind of relationship and one kind of level of access to his mother to another kind of relationship and level of access to his mother. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with this, the fact of that transition and the circumstances that enforce that transition. And, <clears throat> and I, I like, I tend to think of transitions happening in like a, like three kind of phases. One is that there's the outside event that makes things change. There's the new baby. There's the, there's the re new relationship. There's the move or whatever it is. There's the new school, the new teacher, and then there's this period in which uh, the 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 person who's receiving the transition is like caught in the middle. They haven't fully accepted the new reality, but they're aware the old one is over, and they're grasping, in this case, quite literally, at things to give them some sense of comfort and order. And then after that. There's a period of acceptance in which they now recognize that the old thing is over and they know what they're going to do for the new thing. It's this. I'm going to I'm going to this is the new world. and I'm fully in it and I fully get it. And what I'm hearing in this letter is a child that is um, in the middle section, in the, the kind of neither world between the two things. They are aware that this world that like this relationship that they used to have with their parents is no longer there, but they don't know. They haven't fully accepted the reality that there's another kind of relationship that can be formed. And so they're in that frustration, they're reaching out for to, to for something to hold on to. And I keep saying keeps coming up as a pun because that's literally what's happening. And the other thing I hear in this letter is that the 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 mother is afraid, and this is a fear that we I think a lot of parents have with second children. She writes, I'm so afraid that he's going to feel rejected when I deflect his bid for physical closeness closeness. And that feeling of being so afraid, I think, has a lot more to do with the discomfort in the letter writer's experience than 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 like than we think. Mm. There, I will tell the letter writer that you don't have to be afraid that something bad is going to happen to your older kid because your older kid can no longer touch you in the way that he used to. That's not. I don't think anything bad is going to happen. I think that is a normal part of the development of growing up, and. And, and your kid is just hasn't reached the acceptance of it yet and so is struggling. But it's not going to permanently damage him. It's not going to – our big fear was that Ezra would be permanently damaged by the existence of Georgia and then he'd spend the rest of his life. And who knows what kind of terrible psychological drama was going – that we were fomenting if we didn't handle this transition just exactly right. And that 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 to me is an iteration of the kind of – extra pressure we put on ourselves as parents to do everything right, which is a kind of ownership. It's like a feeling that we have to single-handedly and personally manage all the psychological development of our kids. And I think that's overreach. Your kid is going to understand this and develop just fine because you will continue to show up in love for your kid. But the way you express that love is going to be different. It's going to involve different things because he's an older kid. It's going to involve reading books and going for walks and having conversations and doing puzzles and whatever. And your kid is going to have to accept that, and he will. And so I don't think you have to be afraid of holding a boundary. 
I don't think you have to be afraid that if I hold this boundary too roughly, then I'm going to scar him or damage him. I don't think that's true. I do agree with what Rebecca and Gabe are saying that um, that he's one. This is one of the things he's doing is expressing frustration with you about the fact that he no longer has access to you the way he used to. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with calling that out directly and giving him words for that. One of the things Rebecca said a few shows ago that I always think about is that the reason toddlers have tantrums is because they don't have the words to say what they want to say. And so one of the things that helps is to give him words. And this is where I think, this is how I think you have a conversation with a kid who's five years old, because you can't sit them down and say, look, but you can give them words. Do You can say, do you feel frustrated about the fact that we have this new baby? Tell me what your feelings are. Does it feel like this? It seems to me that there's this. So that your kid is able to have some words around that so that he doesn't have to resort to this language of physicality to express his feelings. Because I think a good percentage of the time, all we're really trying to do is just express how we feel and how yeah, to I be com- heard. I completely you know? agree with that. And I would say beyond giving him words, give him permission to feel that anger. Yeah, like, that's right. That's exactly say, right. Yes. Say to him, yeah. like, do you feel so mad sometimes? Are you so mad at the baby sometimes? Are you so yeah. mad at me sometimes? Do you yeah. really, really feel mad at me for having to spend all this time with the baby? I understand that you feel that. That's okay that you feel that. Just yes, let him have right. that feeling in some, right. yeah. and, and maybe he can find some other thing to do with that feeling besides attacking you with kisses that you don't want or need yeah. at this moment. Besides licking your arm or yeah. whatever it yeah. is he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Good advice. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time now to move on to the part of the show where we make recommendations to you. We call that part of the show recommendations. I'm going to recommend a series of books. Uh, it's by a writer named Tim Egan. These are very simple books written for young kids. They're in those like Greenlight Readers Level 3 series. So you can read them with a four-year-old if you have one. Um, this is the Dodsworth series by Tim Egan. We just found these a few weeks ago and we quickly bought them all and and Leo loves them and, and so does Eliza, although she won't always admit it. Uh, and, and I really love them too. Um, it's about some sort of badger or something like that. And he goes on a trip around the world. But at some point near the beginning, he winds up having to take care of a duck. And the duck is always going off and causing trouble. And he always says to the duck, now, I need you to stay very close and pay attention. And the duck says, okay, I'll definitely stay very close and pay attention. And then the duck wanders off and Dodsworth has to chase him all around London and they get on the wrong bus. And it's um, it's a it's a story for kids who get to, in this story, they get to identify with the parent uh, trying to chase around the mischievous child. Um, But of course, they also uh, identify with the duck, um, who is a pure figure of chaos. Um, In any case, this is a great series of books for young readers, uh, the Dodgeworth books by Tim Egan. Rebecca, what do you recommend? I'm going to recommend the 1985 version, this is very specific, of the Canadian film to air originally as a miniseries, uh, Anne of Green Gables, which was, of course, <laughs> based on the 1908 novel by Canadian author Lucy Maud Montgomery. Uh, this particular iteration of Anne of Green Gables, I just stumbled across it in my basement. I guess I bought Lily or something, the DVDs when she was little. And um, I was looking around uh, to see where it can be procured right now. It's surprisingly difficult to watch this version of Anne of Green Gables, but uh, it is deve- it it is available online for rent. It actually has its own special website. And you can also still buy the DVDs on Amazon. So um, I love this version of Anne of Green Gables. I cannot say it's like Oscar quality filmmaking. However, Megan Follows, who plays Anne in this version, uh, is so earnest and so wonderful. And if you're not familiar with the story, it is about an 11-year-old 
girl who is sent mistakenly to a pair of older siblings who are hoping to adopt a boy to help out on their Prince Edward Island farm. And they get her by mistake and she just charms them with her pluckiness and they decide to keep her and she changes everyone around her. Uh, It's got everything. It's got bosom friends. It's got accidental drunkenness. It's got earnest as heck, little ginger, uh, spunky girl power stuff. Anyway, I really loved it when I was a kid and uh, my stepdaughter really loved it when she was about 10 uh, years old. So I really recommend it. This is the 1985 Canadian version of Anne of Green Gables. I wonder if you ever related to Anne of Green Gables, Rebecca, uh, as someone who has been known to charm us with your pluck and your accidental <laughs> drunkenness. <laughs> Mostly the accidental drunkenness. No, uh, no, you got I the pluck know. too. <laughs> she was more convincing. I think the reason why uh, that character is so appealing to you know to kids is because she gets ki- adults on board with her worldview. Like she has a worldview. It's very well formed. And unlike, uh, you know, real life, when you say that you feel a certain way or want to do something and all the adults in your life are like, no, I'm not going to take you to the doctor and look at your eye. I want to go back to sleep and wow. we'll be able to get that done. Fired. <laughs> no, she was she was just able to, to bend the world to her will and her will was just is good and kind and open and scrappy. And uh, I think that's why that character has endured, at least for me. Nice. Mm. Carvel, what about you? What are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend the book Hoot by uh, Carl Hyacin, which is uh, was a, a book lying around the house we were staying at in New England. And uh, I read like 50 pages of it, and I just really liked it. I'd say this book is for maybe kids a little bit older. 10 and up would be my guess. Um, it does have some light swearing in it. It's a, it, does, it involves a bullying a, kid, a new kid in town. Kid gets bullied. Kid has to figure out how to deal with bully. Uh, in the process, they make new friends and learn about, uh, you know, how to deal with stuff in the world. And then there's this kind of subplot that has to do with the parents and, and environmental issues. And the kids try and like get the like Anne of Green Gables. The kids try and bend the the will of the parents to to a, a better understanding. And I just think that the way it was written. When I the pages that the samples that I read were just uh, I liked the language. It was straightforward. It was direct. It was funny. Uh, it took into account that kids were intelligent and worldly, and so it didn't talk down to them. And um, and I and then I went. I did the final review, which is asking the kids in the house who had read it if they liked it. And it was it was it was a, a, a true thumbs up from everyone. There were three kids in the house who had read the book already, and they all liked it very much. So that's Hoot by Carl Hyacin. Nice. And that's our show. Uh, if you have a question that you would like us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or send us an email to momanddad at slate.com. Uh, you can discuss this show and share your own parenting triumphs and fails at our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Uh, our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.